The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's Dan Scott Show. It is episode 34. I am Dan. We are presented by Grand Slam Ministries, as always. And after eight weeks of our summer rerun series, we are back with all new episodes beginning this week. And uh, I am very confident, as I always am, that you are going to be blessed by the interview we have. A guy by the name of Trey Youngblood, who is an insurance salesman in Greenville, Tennessee, which in and of itself doesn't sound all of that thrilling or exciting or inspiring, but wait until you hear his story and his testimony and the second chance at life God has given him and the mission that he is on now because of that. It's the lengthiest interview that we've done, so because of our time constraints, we don't have any time to waste. We will Take a very quick break for you to hear something about Grand Slam Ministries and then come back and I will set up the interview with Trey Youngblood and you will hear his amazing story. That's right on the other side of this. Every day there are children who leave school on Friday and eat little and sometimes nothing until they come back to school on Monday. It happens in every community, including yours. Many of these children live in circumstances that deprive them of basic needs necessary for a quality life. At Grand Slam Ministries, we want to change that. We want to invest in our children, giving them hope for the future. That investment includes necessities such as food, clothing, school supplies, and a safe environment to play, to study, to live. Please visit our website, GrandSlamMinistries.org to find out more about our ministry and how you can help. We're just getting started. Will you come alongside us for the children's sake? Again, that's GrandSlamMinistries.org. Follow us on social media. Search Grand Slam Ministries on Facebook and Grand Slam for God on Twitter. And don't forget Dan's personal and public figure sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Episode 34 of The Dan Scott Show. And the first of our series of new interviews after eight weeks of summer reruns. We are back on the stick. And, uh, boy, couldn't kick it off with a better one. Uh, I mentioned that the uh, during the first segment that Trey Youngblood is our guest. His son, Ty, actually plays football, where I'm the director of broadcasting at Furman University, and I did not know the connection until I found out about Trey and his story. His daughter is on the dance team at Wofford College, so they have a little uh, inter-SOCON battle going on in the family living room during the offseason. Uh, But Trey's a former college football player at the D2 level at Carson Newman and is a successful businessman in in the world of insurance at Farm Bureau Insurance. In fact, as we began the interview, as as I like to do, starting from where 
a person is now and kind of working our way back. It's going to take a while to get to the meat of this story, but the wait will be worth it. Trey's testimony is one that you are not going to be able to forget. So let's get into the interview. And again, we started off by simply talking about where Trey is and what he's doing now. Yeah, yeah, Greenville, Tennessee. I uh, run a Farm Bureau insurance office here. Uh, we've got uh, pretty pretty successful business going on here. Farm Bureau Insurance is a good name in in Tennessee as it is in most most places. And so, I've been been very fortunate to work with them for the last uh, 22 years. I started uh, my career uh, in Newport, Tennessee, which is where my wife is from, and was a general agent there for. Uh, nine or ten years and uh, ran an office up in Johnson County, which is Mountain City, Tennessee, the very northeast uh, tip of the state. Um, and uh, ran that for four years as agency manager mid back here in Greenville uh, for about ten years now. And uh, very, very, very blessed to be be a part of a of a great organization, a great office, and just got a lot of great great agents and and staff around me and and uh, community that that supports us also. If I remember correctly, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, coming out of college, being an insurance agent was not on your radar, was it? Uh, no. So, uh, you know, I went to Carson Newman College and uh, played some football there for Ken Sparks and, and some, some other great assistant coaches uh, that are still good good friends of mine that we still stay in contact with. Um, I, you know, I, as a athlete you have to declare a major and and you know i didn't know what i was going to do uh in in life for sure and and so i my sophomore year you had to declare the major and so i went and uh my advisor um said hey what do you want to do and i'm like i have no idea and i want to play football and and uh they uh they said well what you got to declare a major and i said well what's the hardest major to get here and um, she said, well, biology. Uh, and I said, well, that's what I'll do. And she said, well, why would you do that? And I said, well, that'll keep me out of trouble, you know? And so that's my thought process there is I just do biology. And and uh, so I do have a degree in biology uh, from Carson Newman University. It was college at that time. <clears throat> and uh, I've got a minor in business. <clears throat> so I guess I am using my uh, degree in some in some aspect. I just did right there as a conversation piece to you, and so I I appreciate <laughs> get to do that. And, and you know, insurance uh, kind of fell into my lap, uh, kind of kind of part of God's plan for me. I I was going to okay, you got a degree now. What are you going to do? I said, well, you know, I'm pretty good at talking to people and and enjoy helping people, so I'm going to do pharmaceutical sales. And so, you know, every company I interviewed with either wanted me to move to. Uh, Louisiana or Alabama or somewhere like that, or or get sales experience. So I started doing some sales experience from a with a door to door company, and uh, it was probably the worst job that was ever imaginable to to mankind. And and uh, the agency manager in Newport was retiring after thirty something years, and and that's when the position came open there as a general agent. And I got an interview and and was uh, fortunate enough to be hired on. Uh, in 2001 as an uh, uh, agent in Newport as Farm Bureau. Yeah, yeah I, I'm just laughing a little bit as, as you're talking about that when you mentioned door-to-door sales. And, of course, this is this is dating me a little bit, but there there's a reason why people make fun of, in the old days, fuller brush salesmen and door-to-door vacuum salesmen, right? Oh, B- yeah. Because it is among the worst mm-hmm. jobs that have ever been invented. Worst ever, yeah. My worst, my worst day... 
at Farm Bureau is better than my best day doing that job. <laughs> no doubt. Yes. It's, it's kind of what we say about, uh, about uh, broadcasting baseball, that a, you know, a bad day at the ballpark is better than a good day at the office. Yes, sir. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So you, you said you chose the biology major because you knew it would keep you out of trouble. Were you a kid that was inclined to get in trouble growing up or was that, or was that maturity beyond your years? Uh, so that's kind of interesting. You know, I, I, I probably am a guy that most people and, and, you know, you, your opinion of yourself is sometimes different than your opinion that others have of you. But, you know, I think that, most people think that I'm kind of a, a maybe a little troublemaker at some point in time, and, and, but not really anything bad. I've never done anything, you know, terrible, I guess. Um, but, you know, um, I probably have more fun than anybody. And doing what I do, I just always have a good time. And and believe it or not, Dan, that, you know, whenever, you know, in high school, if, if the uh, – the, you know, we were having this or doing that or people were going here, the, the, my buddy's parents would ask him, is Trey going? And, uh, it, you know, if, as long as I was going, they were okay with them going because they knew that I was going to take care of everybody. We're going to have a good time, but nobody's ever going to get hurt. Nobody's ever going to get arrested or in trouble or anything like that. So we would get into some mischief and some things and, uh, but we would never really do anything bad. And, uh, I just, you know, I, I wanted to be challenged in college, and I always say that story about the, the biology just to just say that I just wanted to wanted to have something that would challenge me. Of course, you know it's interesting. I'm thinking back to high school, and I was never the guy that got in trouble, but I might have been the guy that suggested that something might be fun to do and watch somebody else go and do it. Yeah. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah. It was, it's so we, I've got a couple of stories like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, <laughs> not for this, not for this setting. Okay. Yeah. I, 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 no, I, I understand completely. I, an, yeah. Another lifetime, yeah. a, a lifetime ago. Uh, Trey yes, Youngblood is our guest on this week's edition of the show. Um, tell me about your home life growing up. Did you grow up in a Christian home? Yes, sir. Yeah, we grew up in a Christian home. I have a, a older sister and a younger brother. Um, we, you know, we went to church and, and we, you know, we were involved with that a lot. Of course, my, my mother is probably one of the most godly women that I've ever met in my life. Every day she sends us a Bible verse. She's, she's praying for us every day. We know she's there for us. Uh, my dad also, um, you know, more of a quiet type as far as that goes in that aspect, but we know that he is there for us and praying for us and, and just a very supportive family. Um, you know, uh, we, we didn't always do the right things, but we really tried to, and, and we were, we were always, and, you know, had a good, I had a good upbringing, grew up on a, a small farm in actually North, North Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, very rural area in Quincy, Florida, right there, West of Tallahassee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, had my grandparents live right next door. Uh, my grandfather was probably my best friend in the whole world. Uh, you know, it was one of those, one of those guys and one of those relationships where, uh, you know, it really didn't happen. Whatever happened didn't happen until I got to tell Papa, you know what I mean? And right. so that was one of those things there. And he had a huge influence on me, went to a small church there, uh, in the community and, um, you know, just, just had a good, good home life as we worked really hard. Uh, you know, we would, you, we'd be, uh, while my buddies would be at the pool or something, we would be out bailing hay or doing something of, of that nature on the farm. And it was kind of, kind of stunk at the time, but it was, it kind of made you think, okay, 
this that made me kind of who I am as far as having a worth et, work ethic that uh, that supersedes anything else. Yeah. As we get get deeper into your story here in the next few minutes, your your faith is obviously going to play a big role in that story we're going to tell. What what was your own faith journey to Christ like? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got saved at a young age. Uh, I was actually, we were, my mom and I were driving back, and it was just she and I in the car, and I was in the back seat, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I'd questioned something that, that was said in church that, that night. It was on a Wednesday night, I, I'm pretty sure, Wednesday or Sunday night, and, uh, you know, I, I got saved right there in the car, uh, and I remember that um, very, very vividly. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's been, been one of those, those journeys where, you know, you, you think you, you have a testimony, you don't have a testimony and people say all the time, well, I don't have a story, you know? Uh, and you know, when, when you hear my story and I know that maybe some people that are listening already know a little bit about my story, but, um, we all have a story. I believe that, that we all have a story of how God saved us and, and how he is has worked in our life. And if you can't see that and looking back, you just think, Oh, things happens as a chance. Things happen. You know, where we are is where we are because of him putting us there. And uh, my life is very much that way. Um, And, you know, we all have that story that we need to tell and that we need to need to make sure that that people know how he saved us. Yeah. Some people think that they need to have the Paul on the road to Damascus story and, and not everybody does but everybody has the same story that a a savior that we didn't deserve laid down his life so we could have eternal life if if there's nothing else that's the story that's the story that's a great story and it's and it's a it is a simple story but it's a mind-blowing story that he would do that for me and uh never i'll never get over it never get over it this morning, before we started the interview, and we're visiting with uh, Trey Youngblood, uh, my Bible reading was in Psalms 115, and one single line just brought me to a screeching halt this morning. He was mindful of us. Oh. And I, I had to stop and think about that and, and reflect on it and pray about it, and I wrote something about it for my social media. The, the, the fact that the God of the universe— the one who created the entire universe knows me and, and not just knows me, but cares about me and, and cared about me enough to send his son to die for me as if I were the only person on earth. And, and yeah. it, it's funny how things that you've read before and maybe glossed over in God's word will do that to you. But just that one single line this morning just brought me to a halt. He was mindful of us man that's powerful and you know what what i really get out of that too dan is that he was mindful of us even though he knows me he knows me better than my wife than my kids than anybody does and he is still mindful of me he Mm. still loves me no matter because he knew all the things that i was going to do uh, he knew all the things that I'm going to do. He he knows all the disappointments that I'm going to give him and the times I'm going to let him down. And he still is mindful of me and mindful of us, despite all of our imperfections and our failures to him. 
You know, my dad, my, my dad is a preacher and a pastor still at age 75, and I guess it's my training and my upbringing. I'm about ready to pass the plate right now. Let's, let's take yeah, up a let's collection. Go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. Well, you know, and the, and the fact that, that God is mindful of us is another aspect of, of your story that we're going to get into here in just a moment, and I promise our listeners we're coming to the to the meat of this story, but we, we share something in common, and that's a love of sports. Tell me, tell me about your love of the game of football and, oh. and how you ended up playing collegiately at Carson Newman. When, when did you oh. fall in love with the game? Oh, I was a little league player. Um, and, um, we, uh, you know, I was one of the better ones in the league, I guess. And so, you know, we had our, we had our team there. We didn't always, we didn't always win. We had some guys that, that played at Florida state that we had to play against. And so it was good that they actually became teammates of mine later on in life, of course. And, uh, so, and, you know, we had some other uh, collegiate athletes that, that, that we played with growing up, but, um, you know, I, I just, I love the game. I love the, the toughness of it. I love the, 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 you know, just the grit of it. I love the, the practice. I loved being, you know, being on the field. Uh, I loved everything about it. I, I was fortunate enough to go, I went to a small high school there in North Florida and, uh, we, uh, you know, we had some success there and, and not as much as we would wanted to because of our size there, you know, a small school. But, um, you know, I knew that I wanted to play at the college level and, and I'll never forget the time, you know, of course, we visited around some schools and, and that was before Twitter and before Huddle and all the things, uh, of course, but uh, you were sending your VHS tapes to people and I don't <laughs> want to tell people how old I am, but that's kind of how that was. And, and uh, but so you know, I was fortunate enough to, to get an invite to come to Troy State and to Carson Newman. And uh, I remember the day in the gym where my coach says, hey, we need to let these schools know what you're going to do. And and so I I, uh, I told him, I said, tell Carson Newman I'll be there in the fall. And, uh, of course, you know, me being the, the, the pretty good athlete uh, in the town, you know, in that small setting, I thought that uh, – you know, I was going to go to Carson Newman and, and they were probably, you know, a small school like that. You know, of course, I wanted to go to Florida State, but Bobby Bowden didn't need didn't need me there. And so um, I thought I'd go to Carson Newman and they'd probably name the stadium after me or something like that, you know, before I got done. But it took me about 20 minutes on the field uh, to realize that I didn't know very much about football and I wasn't that good at it. And uh I was going to have to really work hard to to stay on the team. Number one and number two, be be a contributing factor to anything there. And of course, as as a Carson Newman player in the in the uh, mid '90s and late '90s, there we you know we had some very successful teams. Uh, you know, my my career, I, I think we we lost uh, one home game my five year career while we were there. Um, and that was to the to North Colorado that which won the national championship the next week, 51 to nothing. And um, uh, we won sack the, the conference title every year that I was there. Went to the national championship game twice in 96 and 97, 98. And uh, so I got to play in those games and we lost both of those games. Uh, 98 was a heartbreaker. It was a four overtime game. Mm. Um, and to Northwest Missouri State. Uh, but, you know, I had a very great career as that goes. And I didn't know it. You know, you talk about how God uses things in your life. You didn't know that football was going to bring me to so many things. I mean, the, the relationships I have with the players, 
the coaches that I still keep in contact with. Um, you know, uh, it's a bad thing, I guess, but I, I, I'm, you know, I met my wife through football. You know, she was a cheerleader at Carson Newman, and uh, you know, that's I say it's a bad thing. I'm just kidding, of course. I know, yeah, but I was going to say may, maybe she thinks it's a bad thing. I don't know. Yeah, she probably does a lot of days. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. But you know, and and that's that's kind of whenever Ty was you know picking schools. You know, I remember him saying, you know, what you know, he had numerous offers, a lot more than I did, and, and uh, Furman was his first offer. Um, and, you know, Furman was just always right there. I knew that's where he was going to go. Misty and I both knew that was what he was going to do. Uh, but we just kind of kept quiet. And I said, you know, hey, it's no big deal, man. If I hadn't if I hadn't chose to go to Carson Newman, you guys wouldn't be here. So don't worry. You know? And so uh, football has been a very huge part of my life. Uh, um, and it's and it's been, you know, God has used football to to make me who I am and to put me where I am. Yeah, Ty is a, a tight end uh, at Furman, where I'm. I'm the director of broadcasting, and you have a daughter at Wofford. So, so you yes. have you have a, uh, a something of a split household. Yes, two two SoCon right. rivals living in your same house in the off season. It's crazy, yeah. And so, yeah, Ty, Ty and Ellie Beth. Uh, Ellie, you know, Ellie Beth is on the dance team at at Wofford, and and of course, Ty's Ty's had some success at Furman. Uh, been been a great part of some great teams. Very very much looking forward to this year for him. Uh, you know, both of them are doing well in school. They're they're a little bit smarter than me. They're both on the dean's list. Uh, you know, I was on the dean's list also at Carson Newman, but it wasn't for the same reason uh, that they are on the dean's list. I was on the the bad dean's right. list. On there, so on, but, I, I've I've been uh, on a lot yeah. of lists in my life. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. So. We know, yeah. So we're very proud of those their accomplishments and how, how they're using, uh, you know, Ellie Beth is very involved with, uh, young life at Wofford. Uh, she's, she's got her, her group there and her high school kids that she's mentoring with young life and ties very involved with FCA. Actually last night we were able to watch the live stream of the FCA at Furman, uh, where he's a worship leader there. And, and it's very powerful what God is doing in, in their lives and how, how he's using them. Uh, to further his kingdom for sure. Before we get to the the meat of, of your testimony and, and, and really the reason why we're doing this interview, I, I have to tell you that our mutual friend Bobby Rader shared yeah. the interview that you did with him with me. And so I got to listen to it, and that's how I found out some of your background. Yeah. And he was asking you if you remembered – the first touchdown you scored, and I guess maybe the only touchdown you scored. And as you walked through that, I couldn't tell if you were trying to exude false humility or if you really couldn't remember when uh, and who it was against. No, I couldn't and, and remember. I, and I, I and, and, and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, obviously. No, I, I really couldn't. And, I, and he kind of put me on the spot. I need to get get back at him somehow <laughs> for that. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have very much recollection of that. And I'm sure if if his stats are on there, then it's it's accurate. And it wasn't a touchdown. It was actually an interception. Interception, that he was okay. To, but um, yeah, and so I, I kind of remember something. Uh, I, you know, yeah, I was. I was I, in my high school or my college career. I, I'll tell you this: I had a um, an all all American heart, but probably all county talent. And uh, so I I, I kind of I did my best, and and I work I had to work harder than anybody on the team to be a contributing factor. I mean, it, you know, the weight room was was huge for me, and and the off season was huge, and just 
just uh, doing my best and knowing that I could be relied on in situations, uh, you know, with, with limited physical abilities that I had. Um, and, you know, and of course that was, that was a cool part about those coaches there. They kind of got the best out of you. And, and I, I really, really appreciate them doing that most physically and, you know, mentally, emotionally, spiritually also. Right. Yeah. Trey Youngblood is our guest on this week's edition of the Dan Scott show. So all of this was a setup to, your the testimony that God has given you now, which as people hear this story, um, they're they're going to find it amazing. How 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 far are we removed now from the day? The day was February the twenty fifth of twenty twenty two. So it's it's been a year and a half or so uh, away. Yes, sir. So yeah. let, let's 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 just start from there. February twenty fifth, twenty twenty two. Just a, a run of the mill day, right? Right. Yeah. And so I'm an office guy and, and, you know, we, Misty and I had, had, had been traveling and, and it was a Friday and, um, you know, I've got some property. I, I do some hunting and, and, you know, have some, some other, other stuff that I kind of mess around on some land close by the house. And, and, uh, you know, my, I hadn't talked to my partner that, that is in on that property with me, uh, in, in a while since Misty and I've been traveling, decided not to go to work that day. And, and, um, just cause I'd been gone and, you know, I'm going on a Friday, you know, and been got flew in late that, that night, Thursday night. Uh, and so I talked to him and said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to probably go over there to the property and, and, uh, you know, mess around. And, you know, of course, you know, I'll probably take my saw of course. And, you know, whenever I go and, and because there's always trees down and just things like things like that. And so, you know, it was one of those days, it wasn't too cold. It was, it was okay. You know, February, the end of February in, in East Tennessee can be anything really. Mm -hmm. But I went out there and, and, uh, got, got my mule and, and drove up there and, and, you know, um, drove back through there and came, you know, just a little four wheeler trail back in the middle of the woods, about a mile back and, uh, came across the tree that had fallen, of course, in the road. And I, so I got out and I didn't take care of that. And so I stopped, stopped the mule and got out and sawed that tree up and, and looked up the trail about 50 yards. And there was another pine tree that had fallen and, um, it was not on the ground all the way. And so I probably could have driven under it, but I was like, I just walked up there to it, carried my saw and said, Hey, while I'm here, I'll just take care of this while, you know, nothing to it. Right. And, uh, so you study a tree and you look at it and you say, okay, it's going to fall this way. And that's what's going to happen. And, uh, so I got started cutting the tree and, uh, climbed kind of up the bank there and started cutting the tree that was, it was not all the way on the ground, probably about thigh high or knee high, um, where I was cutting it there. And, and, um, it's a pine tree about as, you know, about big around as you, as you waste, you know, uh, you know, not, not a huge tree, but not a, not a small one either. Um, and, uh, you know, I started sawing the tree and it kind of popped, you know, and how trees do. And, and so I stopped and I turned my saw off and, and I stood back on it again and I looked at it and I said, why did it do that? I, I mean, you know, I know it's going to fall right here. It's just going to go right here and it's nothing to it. Well, so I cranked the saw back up and started sawing it again. And it got about three quarters of the way through the tree and it snapped and the part that was attached to the root ball of the tree kind of went up in the air and the part that snapped in the trunk and it's a huge, it was the, the tree's pretty long. It was probably about 60 or 70 feet long. The, the trunk of the tree swiveled and kicked back on my chest and knocked me probably uh, about eight or 10 feet back 
And, you know, you, you think about the things that, that happen and then, you know, I've looked at trees before and I'm like, I'm not going to cut that one. That thing will kill you. Or you cut them and you say, Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or, you know, you, you do it and I've done it all my life. And, and you just, uh, you know, you think about how, you know, you could jump out of the way. It, it happened in a blink of an eye. Uh, it was just, there was no stopping it. There was no getting a, around it. And the next thing I really remember is I, I remember the tree landing on top of my chest and I'm on my back and I remember kind of yelling and I remember the air just coming out of me. And I remember, I remember the crunch. I can I can literally still hear the bones breaking in my body. Mm. And um, my left arm was caught under the tree. The tree is on top of my chest. My right arm is not caught under the tree. It's still up, it's still out. Um, but I can I can still see the tree on top of me. And, and you know how you think about things that, you know, you go back and you smell something and you can smell it, you know, I can still smell the tree right there on my chest. And, and, you know, this story has evolved into so many, so many things of God's grace and God's mercy and God's miracle. And, and one of the things is that you're, you know, what is your last prayer going to be? The last one that you'll ever be able to utter my last prayer, I don't even think I said, Lord, I just, I just said, help. I just remember saying help. And I don't know how long I was, sorry. I don't know how long I was under the tree, but the next thing I remember, and I remember every little bit about that day too, but I don't remember how I got out from under the tree. But the next thing I remember is I'm laying beside the tree. I'm rolling over on my, on my all fours and I'm looking at the tree and I'm taking my gloves off. I take my earplugs out and I'm like, what just happened? And my chainsaw is still running. So I remember reaching over and turning it off, you know, want to waste gas. And, and then you're, you're laying there and you're like, all right, what just happened and I couldn't breathe. And I remember the pain coming through my body. And I said, I, you know, I'm hurt. I need, I'm going to need some help. And so I, my phone was in my left pocket. So I got it out and I called my friend that, that knew kind of where, what area of the, of the farm I was in. And I called him and he answered and, uh, I couldn't speak, I guess. And I finally got the word out hurt to him. And he said, I'm on my way. I'm headed your way. I'm headed your way. I'm, you know, and he hung up. And so I laid there for a minute and I'm like, all right, I'm going to need some help bad. I, I'm, I, I can't breathe. I know I'm hurting. I'm a mile back in the woods on a four-wheeler trail. You can't drive a truck to where I am, much less an ambulance. I, I, I've got to get out of these woods. If I'm going to survive, I've got to get out of these woods. And the second thing that I don't remember is how I got from where the, I was under the tree back to my mule, uh, my side by side, because there was a bank I had to go down and some deadfalls I had to crawl over and, and the trail goes up there. And I don't remember how I got back, but I remember 
stepping, standing beside the side by side and just holding on to it. And I remember my saw case was behind the mule and you know, I'd, I'd stopped at, at a, another tree, that first tree that I cut. So I had to back it out or turn around because I couldn't go forward because that other tree was still in the road there where I cut it up. But I remember moving my saw case because you don't want to run over your saw case, of course, right? You know, um, and I remember using a mirror, a little mirror that's a little side rear, rear view mirror, side mirror there to turn around, to find a place to turn the side by side around in the middle of the woods. And, and uh, you know, I, I couldn't really see anything. I couldn't breathe and I didn't know really how bad I was hurt, but I knew I was in some pain and I knew I just, I was having some difficulty and, and there was some blood around. I knew there, there was blood. And so I knew I was bleeding. I was, I was scared to look at exactly where I was bleeding from. And, and, uh, I, I, I turned around and I, I remember every little bump coming out of the trail there. And I remember there's a little ditch you have to go through and I couldn't see a thing, man. I was just so blind. And I, so I kept just focusing on the hood of the mule. And I, and my prayer at that time was, Lord, please don't let me pass out and don't let me wreck. And I, I even remember having to go up a little hill and I remember it, you know, it spins there. And so I remember putting the, the mule in four wheel drive to, to go up that little hill. And, and I, I just, I don't know how long it took me to drive out of there. I just kept focusing right on the ruts of the, of the four wheeler trail and on the hood there and just trying to get out of there. And when I went through our little gate, the kind of the driveway kind of opens up into the main road. It's like the, the, the world opened up, my vision opened up. And immediately as I got inside of the main road, my buddy was turning up the hill and right behind them was the ambulance. And I'm like, I just pulled over right there and just, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. And, um, you know, that I remember my, my buddies, there were two of them actually, he'd called the other guy that farms the, the farm there and, and they had got there, both good friends of mine. And, and uh, I remember them getting in there to me. They got there to me before the ambulance, the EMS people did. And, and uh, I remember one of them held my hand and, and, and uh, I could see in the, in the eyes of the other one that I, he, he was upset. And, and of course I'll tip telling them, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I you know, I, I, I messed up. I'm sorry putting you through this. And, and uh, he, he has a bunch of cows actually. And he told me, um, you know, months later, sitting in my living room, he said, Hey, Trey, when I saw you that day, he said, you know, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have given $5 for antibiotics if you were one of my cows. <laughs> so yeah. I wow. was in pretty bad shape. It, as um, I'm, as I'm listening to you recount this, it, it, a couple of things that struck me and it, it's funny, the things that we think about even in times of peril, I got to turn the chainsaw off. I might be dying, but I got to turn the chainsaw off. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I've got to move the case because I, I paid money for that. I don't want to back over <laughs> that thing. I, I mean, yeah. the, it, it, those are the, it, your mind has to be going in a million different directions, but those yeah. are two things that you remembered among some things that you couldn't recall. I know. I know. Yeah. Why, why can you remember that? Why do you remember those things? And why did you even care about that case? You know, right. you run over the thing, get it out, leave the tones all running. Who cares? You know? So, um, so you got the EMS got to you. 
Yeah. Um, did they do treatment on the scene or did they immediately pop you in the ambulance and get you to the hospital? What happened next? So, so the, I was still sitting in the mule and the EMS guy came up there and, and uh, I, I, I couldn't speak and didn't really know why. And, and I, I couldn't breathe. And, and I, and I finally told him tree and I told him crunch. Um, I got those words out. And so I, I, I remember him, uh, his name's Micah, um, that I've come to, come to meet a few times. And, uh, the other one there was Sarah, but, um, Micah was kind of the one in charge. And, and I remember them putting me on the, you know, getting me up, standing me up and laying me on the gurney and it hurt so bad. I don't remember. Yeah. I, I, I just, the pain was just everywhere. I didn't really know what was going on. And I remember them putting me in the ambulance and, uh, he's, he told me, I said, man, your lungs are collapsed. And he said, I'm going to have to stick a needle in your lung. And, uh, Sarah was on my right and Micah was on my left in the ambulance and and he stuck the, the needle in my lung. And, and I remember the relief of it that I could actually breathe a little bit there. And, and then he stuck the one in my, my right lung and I could breathe a little bit. And it was like, okay, now I can talk a little bit. I can, I can, you know, but then the pain is, I said, the pain is terrible. And, um, and my, you know, we just live, you know, a couple minutes down the, the road and, and uh, they had called my wife, Misty. And I remember her, I remember hearing her voice behind me um, in the, in, I guess the ambulance door was open there on, and on the side door. And, and uh, I, I remember just telling her, I'm sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I messed up. Please. I love you, Misty. I'm sorry. Cause I, I just, you know, you had a feeling that, that you were in bad shape and mm-hmm. you, you didn't know exactly how bad you were in. And, and I said, please forgive me and tell the kids I love them. I'm sorry. And the Sarah said about that time, Mike, I remember him saying, you've got to go. And uh, I remember the door closing and um, I, I remember Sarah saying, I can't, I can't get it. I can't make it happen. I can't, I can't do it. And he's, Micah said, I'm, we're going to have to drill it. And I didn't know what he was talking about, but he was, they actually, it was an emergency procedure where they were had to drill an IV in my bone of my arm and, uh, so he said, this is going to hurt. And, uh, sure enough, it did. Um, but that's about the last thing I remember. They gave me some medicine to put me to sleep and they, they rushed me to, to the, you know, the helicopter pad and, and the hospital. And then they flew me to Johnson city medical center. Um, and, and you know, it's kind of the story. There's so many side stories to this, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the story of my, my buddies, the story of, you know, Ty and, and, and my kids at Ellie Beth and, and the story of Misty's side of it, you know, and uh, the helicopter people, I've actually become to know them pretty well. Um, and, you know, being text and talking with them and, and actually those, the EMS people and the helicopter people just got a, an award in uh, Lebanon, Tennessee, uh, the other day. And so it's a really big big deal for for our our state and our region and 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 they deserve it but the helicopter guys um he uh bradley he left his number for me on a napkin when he dropped me off 
And uh, he said, you know, I, I don't usually do this trade. I, I, this is months later. I talked to him. He says, you know, I, I, when I dro we dropped you off, I stayed around for a little while. He said, because I, I, I knew that you were gone. And I just wanted to be here for your family whenever you, whenever you passed. Wow. And Misty got to know them. We stepped with them at the, at the award banquet the other day. And, and she said, Hey, I tried to follow the ambulance. She said, that's a bad idea. You never follow the ambulance because they outrun you and you, you might wreck and you're, they're going too fast. And, and he said, uh, I'm glad you didn't because whenever we pulled up at the ambulance pulled up and we were there in the helicopter, they took me out of the, to put me in the helicopter and I actually crashed and they had to put me back into the ambulance and stabilize me again. And he said, you know, in the ambulance, in the helicopter, they had to puncture my lungs two more times. And of course I was out at that time. I don't remember any of that stuff. I still had to pay for the helicopter ride, right. by the way, Dan, even though I don't remember it, but, yes. you know, but they punctured my lungs two more times. And the third time they punctured on the side and blood was coming out of my lungs. They gave me two units of blood. Uh, Amanda, the, the other gal that was working on me, the EMS that was working on me in the helicopter looked at, looked at Bradley and said, Hey, he's not going to make it. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing that you think of is just a normal day and I'm out there doing what I do and I'm laying there dead and I'm, I'm dead in so many different ways and so many different opportunities, I guess you would say to die. Of course I didn't, you know, when I got to the hospital, um, they, they rushed me into surgery. Um, they cut my stomach open and removed my spleen and, and, uh, my, my pancreas was very, very damaged. Uh, uh, they said it looked like a hamburger meat and, uh, my, my intestines were, were, were messed up really bad. And, and, uh, I had some sheared blood vessels in there that, that they couldn't stop the bleeding on. And, and, uh, basically they had to stop operating on me because I kept bleeding out and, um, they left left me open and they called my wife and, and kids in and uh, pretty much said, hey, he's had a deadly blow and uh, we need to we need to to work on him some more, but we can't until he stops bleeding and uh, we're gonna leave him open tonight and and my wife said, uh, and if he makes it through the night, we're gonna try to do some more surgeries on him and uh, you know that's that's the, the, the coolness of this story is that's when people started praying for me. And that's why I'm here. I don't, you know, there's, there's just a thousand different things that could have gone wrong that day that had to go right for me to be here and people praying for me, the community, um, you know, the Furman family, um, Ellie Beth's a senior in high school at this time. So she's not at Wofford yet, but, um, you know, all the people that were there, my, my, family back home in Florida, uh, family across the, the, the nation, just Facebook goes out, pray for Trey. Um, that's why I'm here. Those little things that happen are why I'm here. Of course, the injuries go in to, um, you know, my, my spleen was ruptured. I was bleeding internally. I didn't know that. Um, I'd broken 18 ribs. Uh, my colon and, and intestines were, were severely damaged. My pancreas was severely damaged. Um, 
you know, I had broken some other bones in my, in my fingers and stuff and dislocated some stuff, but, uh, you know, uh, there's just, there's just no way that somebody makes it through all of that without God's miracle and God's healing. Of course, that night I did make it through the night. Misty sat with me all night. Uh, I, I got all over, I think, 11 units of blood. And, and at one point, uh, uh, you know, COVID was going on and, and um, they wouldn't let but two people into the ICU, into the room there. Um, and at one point, Misty recalls that, that, you know, she had said, you know, you can, after the doctor visited with her, you know, she said, well, you can take one kid back. You and one kid can go. And she said, Ty's on my left and Ellie Beth's on my right. And she looked at the doctor and said, well, you, you pick which kid I can take, man. And the doctor said, well, why don't you take them both? <laughs> you know, and so I was, and so, you know, at, at, in, at that point, they were in the room and I was, my blood pressure got down in, into the, you know, fifties, my, my body temperature got down in the low nineties. Um, and my pulse was very weak. Um, Misty says that she looked up and, and not only was Ty and Elibeth in the room, but all these other family and friends were in there too. And she said, well, here he goes. This is it, you know? And, uh, so of course, we rebounded and, and, uh, they, they kept me, kept me warm. They got me, got the blood coming in me and, and, uh, kept it going. And, uh, of course I made it through the night and, uh, you know, that next day, you know, I had out of town people that had come in and had, you know, other people from the, from the community. It was a Saturday at that time. And, and, uh, you know, they'd already started to pray for Trey, rally and and uh, you know there was a basketball game that night that friday night that i was supposed to be at and and uh they they had had a moment of silence and prayer for me and and that next day um you know with covid nobody could be in the hospital so all the people wanted to kind of be close by and it was a kind of cold rainy day and a little spitting a little snow and and uh, i know this because of the, the the pictures and videos that i've seen but uh they had the whole parking lot full of tents and heaters and food and, and, um, they called it the tray gate instead of the tailgate. <laughs> um, and I always kid around when I tell this story that, you know, I'm in there, uh, going through a second surgery and everybody's outside partying, you know, while I'm in there fighting for my life. But, uh, of course everybody just wanted to be close to my family and close to me and a couple of buddies of mine, uh, and cousins that's, you know, slept in the parking lot that night and just wouldn't leave. And, you know, so the next day they said that that surgery that I would have would, I would, I would, you know, come out with a colostomy bag, uh, because my intestines were so damaged and, and my, my pancreas would never work. I'd be a diabetic and, and have some things of that nature. And, uh, you know, uh, they removed half of my colon the next day and, and tried to repair the pancreas a little bit. And, and, uh, I didn't have to have a colostomy bag and they said I would spend uh, six weeks in the hospital and uh, I, I'm a, I'm a kind of high strung type guy and, and uh, hospital life is not really suiting me. And, uh, you know, after they started taking all the tubes out, I had, you know, eight or six or eight tubes in me and, and uh, you know, feeding tube and everything. And uh, after they started taking that stuff all out, I started walking around and getting up as much as I could. And, and I spent 16 days, most of it in ICU. 
and uh, was able to come home um, and be be taken care of at home, which is probably a bad thing for Misty because I'm probably not the best patient in the world. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it's it's been it's been like a, it's been almost a year and a half, and and uh, you know I I don't take any medicine. My pancreas works fine. My my plumbing intestines works pretty good, and and um, you know they they really don't have any. You know, my ribs hurt some, you know, and, and the other the other injuries hurt. But, I mean, don't we all hurt a little bit every yeah. once in a while? And, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just answered prayer. Uh, and I'm, I'm a miracle. I'm a walking miracle. And, I, you know, I woke up in the hospital, and, and as soon as they took the tube out of my throat and I could speak, um, I, I kept telling everybody this story. I kept, I, I just, and the story is, Dan, that, God saved my life and he wants to save yours too. And that's the whole message of my life now is that, that he, his miracle, as you were saying, he, he knew me, he knows me and he saved me and his miracle wants to be yours too. How has the entire experience changed you from the standpoint of sharing your faith, sharing your testimony? Well, you know, as I said earlier, I'm probably the guy that has more fun than anybody, and I still want to, and I still think that that's one of the reasons that, that God has put us on this earth, to have a good time. But, you know, you know, our life is short. You know, James 4 talks about how we're just a mist and and you know, it, 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 we, we are, my faith and in, in my story is just like yours and just like everyone else's that we've got to tell people. And, and, you know, I, I want people to know the truth, not Trey's truth. Okay. But the truth, because of me, I don't want, I don't want my story. Number one, I don't want my story to be wasted on me. I don't want the God's miracle to be wasted on my just, worthless life, we would say, you know, I, and I don't want this, the people that are hearing my story. I don't want that story to be wasted on them either. I, I want, I want them to know the truth of God and the truth of his miracle and his love because of my story. And, and that's, I think that's what's changed me most of all is I've been able to just tell my story. It's not to, you know, you have people that, that you that don't believe or you know or maybe they they believe okay trey's lucky trey's tough trey trey you know thank goodness trey's trey's stubborn you know what i mean he got out he got out of there he had to drive all the way out he had to do all those maybe so but there is no way there's no way without god's miracle that i'm here and that truth of it is he saved me and he wants to save you and that's all there is to it. And, and hopefully it's made me more compassionate to people as far as not arguing with them and say, okay, you want to shake somebody and say, why don't you believe, man? Why don't you believe? It's okay. I can, I can understand their doubt. I can understand people's doubt of faith because I don't understand everything of the, of faith. I don't understand every little bit of, of the Bible that I read or every little bit of how, how God saves 
me. I don't, I don't understand all of it, but I know it's true. I know that it's, that it's real and it's true. And that's hopefully has made me a compa- more compassionate husband in some ways. And, and maybe a dad, uh, is being, being more loving to my kids and being more accepting to them and, and their faults, you know, hopefully yes. Yeah. Yeah. If, if we could understand it all, we wouldn't need faith. You know, right. I mean, that's, yeah. that, that's the bottom line. If we could, if we could intellectually <sighs> grasp it all, there would be no need for faith. Yeah. We're visiting with, with Trey Youngblood and coming down the stretch here. We've got about two minutes left and mm-hmm. I, I just can't help but wonder, and, and I, I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, do you feel like there's a new mission for your life now? Oh yeah. I mean, I go, I, I go everywhere I'm asked to speak. I'll tell this story wherever I'm, where I'm asked to go. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't do a good, as good a job as some people could maybe with telling their, telling their story, but you know, the mission is, the mission is him. The mission is, the mission is to be all he wants me to be. And I don't really know what that is, man. I don't really have all those answers yet of where I'm going or what I'm doing. But I know that if I didn't make it out from under that tree, that I would have been with him. And that's what I wanted to, everyone to know. And that's the whole story. And the mission is that I think that all of us have a tree on our chest and all of us need God's help to get out from under that tree. And that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm telling. Just an all inspiring story from Trey Youngblood. And I mentioned it's the longest interview we've done so much so that we're less than a minute before we have to say goodbye. When we finished, though, he gave me a couple of Bible verses that have come to mean a lot to him. And you can go check these out for yourself. Exodus 17, in which Moses had help holding his hands up when the Israeli army was in battle. And he talked about he needed people holding him up and doing so in prayer during his uh, fight for his life. And then Luke 18, the story of blind Bartimaeus crying out to Jesus and Jesus passing by and stopping to help. Jesus passed by Trey Youngblood in the woods that day and stopped to help. Wonderful story. DanScottShow.org for all of the archives. Trey, thank you, and we'll see you all later. God bless you. So long, everybody. <laughs>